Welcome, everyone, to the .NET Maui podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with the latest and greatest in .NET client development. We'll talk about some Azure, some Visual Studio, some Blazor, and, of course, .NET Maui. I'm Matt Sokup, and today we're going to talk about a library that lets you add on-device machine learning to your apps. And that library is Onyx. I'm joined today by Scott McKay from the Onyx team and Mike Parker from the Microsoft Mobile Customer Advisory team. But before we get into Onyx, machine learning, and overall making your apps smarter, let's let's get a little back, background on our guest. Scott, I'll start with you. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into machine learning. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I got into machine learning a few years ago when I started working on the Onyx Runtime team. Um, so Onyx Runtime implements Onyx and it's used to actually do your inferencing. Um, I came, I didn't come from a data science or AI background, so it is a bit of a steep learning curve when you get started for sure. Um, and yeah, I've been at Microsoft for over 10 years now. Um, and before that, places like Yahoo and AltaVista. Wow, from the the search giants, yes, if you from will, the from, the, <laughs> from the good old days. <laughs> All right, Mike, uh, a little bit about yourself. So yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. So I'm a principal software engineer from the Modern Client App Customer Advisory Team, and we're still working on a shorter name, in case you're wondering. So I've been with this team for about five years now, and uh, a further ten years at Microsoft before that. So in our team, uh, our goal is to help customers be successful, uh, learn how they're using our products with the ultimate aim of taking those learnings back to help drive product improvement. Great. And yeah, we've had Mike and uh, your teammates on before because you all will, yeah, as you mentioned, help our customers and teams within Microsoft implement solutions on Xamarin and .NET MAUI going forward, which is great. So, Scott, let me let me ask you something. So, let's start. ML, as you mentioned, has a pretty big, steep learning curve. And Onyx, what exactly does that mean overall? What what is Onyx? And then we'll get so, into machine learning. <laughs> yeah. So, Onyx is basically an open standard for describing a machine learning model. So you have different frameworks that can be used to, to create models. Uh, two of the biggest ones are, of course, at TensorFlow and PyTorch, and they have a proprietary model format. So a few years back, if a number of companies got together and decided let's have an open format so that if you want to change, say, the framework you use for training and use a different one for running the actual model, you'd be freer to move between those. So Onyx itself is that standard that lets you define a model in a generic way, and then different um, companies have implemented products that are capable of reading Onyx models, um, and our particular software for that is called Onyx Runtime. All right, so Onyx is like the, I guess, uh, API surface, if you will, that lets you port models between different yeah, it's probably closer to saying it's like, say, XML. So you might have a Word document okay. that you could export to XML, and then somebody could read the XML and convert to PDF. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's cool. And before we get too far, um, we just had a special guest join us, <laughs> Manesh. Hey. Caught in traffic. <laughs> so Manesh also works on the on the Onyx team. So Manesh, could you just give us a real quick... Uh, overview of yourself a little bit about your background 
Yeah, hi everyone, and thanks for accommodating my uh, late uh, joining here. So my name is Manish Kaswami, and I work alongside Scott. Uh, I am a PM in the Onyx Runtime team, and I look after our Onyx Runtime mobile uh, project. Great. And so, uh, Manesh, we just had Scott tell us, you know, a little bit about what Onyx was. So tell us, we're going to jump in then to machine learning and how, I guess, overall, what is machine learning on device? Why would I want to do machine learning on a phone? So there are, so let's start with what is machine learning. Uh, the machine learning is this field of uh, computer science whereby you can use software and math to apply and implement automation on tasks and different workflows. At a high level, uh, you, you would build models which are these uh, mathematical representations of decision trees uh, that otherwise a human would have to make. And so you, you teach this model uh, specific things uh, by training it and then you deploy that as a part of your application. Now, why would we use machine learning in mobile devices? So today, as we started out with the evolution of ML, it proliferated widely in cloud services because of the access to uh, literally infinite compute and storage and lots of data. We were able to build these really sophisticated models and deploy them in the cloud. And we would send user requests to the cloud, process and send results back. That's great, but only uh, for a particular you know, set of scenarios. When we look at mobile phones, they're constantly getting smarter and constantly getting more powerful. And therefore, they now have the capability to run some of these models locally on the device itself. That creates for richer AI scenarios, more efficient, uh, execution of code because you don't have to keep sending data back and forth at the cloud. And then finally, you actually preserve privacy and keep users' data on the device with the user. So all of those reasons allow us to build really strong, robust AI solutions and run them on the user's devices. Okay. So we have AI, which is artificial intelligence, and then there's um, ML. So how does AI relate to machine learning itself? Because they're the same but different, right? So AI is the overall concept of implementing human intelligence into machines. Machine learning is a concept or a branch whereby you use mathematical constructs and special uh, techniques to build out uh, that automation, as I said. And then the other one, other aspect of uh, AI would be deep learning. And, and this is where you use neural networks to go build out your AI models. Today, we are essentially in the transition for going from ML to uh, deep learning uh, in the field of AI. All right. And so Onyx itself has neural networks. That's the two ends in Onyx, right? Right. Onyx, uh, as Scott would have explained, is is a format to represent uh, neural networks. And, and as Scott was saying, Onyx is essentially a portable format uh, to take, uh, take models that are trained in the cloud or, or anywhere else and be able to port them across uh, different environments and different devices. Yes, and the NN in Onyx is neural networks. So Scott then, the, then the benefit of using 
Onyx runtime over TensorFlow Lite. Then what's what's what what, what is that? So yeah, the the different products essentially doing the same thing. Um, Onyx runtime we structure it in a way so that it should be easy to run the same model on as many different devices as you can think of. So if you're running on desktop, it would be able to take advantage of if you've got an NVIDIA video card, it can use that to run the model. Um, the exact same model can be used in mobile scenarios. So we've got Android and iOS packages. Um, those packages have accelerators for the different NPUs, the neural processing units on the phones. Um, so really the, the Onyx runtime approach is one model runs everywhere. And at runtime, we optimize different things to adjust for the device it's on. So this is all similar to what something like TensorFlow Lite might do. Um, it's slightly different in that you're probably using TensorFlow Lite on a mobile uh, device, whereas you use full TensorFlow on a desktop. So there's some differences between the model used on different devices there. Okay. Certainly for PyTorch, you're, for example, on mobile for PyTorch, you've if you want to use the NPU on the phone, you have to export the model differently. So, so we focus on performance and focus on usability as well. What kind of things am I able to do with Onyx? So um, let's start with the Model Zoo. So the Onyx Model Zoo provides you a set of pre-built, pre-trained Onyx models uh, that are there for you to get started quickly. They have been trained uh, and converted, so it becomes like your ready-made uh, getting started point. Uh, and there, the Onyx Model Zoo has models that have uh, that address scenarios across language, vision, and others. So, so it's a great way to get familiar. Um, in terms of what you can do with Onyx, we have converters, as as Scott also said, converters to convert to Onyx from the different training frameworks. Now, data scientists, when they build models on their own, they would use a training framework like PyTorch or TensorFlow. Those are the two popular ones now. Uh, there were many beforehand, uh, you know, a few years ago. PyTorch and TensorFlow are dominant today. The advantage with Onyx is that within an organization, you may have data scientists familiar with PyTorch and they may be you know, more comfortable dealing with the way PyTorch works because they learned that at school or somewhere in a previous job. And so they build their models with PyTorch. But then you may have another group of data scientists who are traditional TensorFlow users because, you know, organizations typically don't, cannot always harmonize towards one thing. Then Onyx allows you to bring all of those, all of those models into a common format and run them with a single runtime across this variety of different environments, right? So, so that is on the training to, uh, training to bring, bring into Onyx side. But then with Onyx runtime, given that we are a multi-platform, um, we actually take the same Onyx model, and then because of our execution provider interface, um, which allows us to optimize the model for differently for the, very sp the different types of hardware endpoints we have. So the execution provider is like this pluggable library that is actually tightly coupled with the different types of hardware that you have out there. You have PCs, you've got Macs, mobile phones from Android, as well as iOS. And then you've got these large data centers cloud, right? And Onyx Runtime with a different execution provider plugged in, you can then take the same Onyx model and optimize it for all of these uh, endpoints. So you get a lot of flexibility 
to port your code um, across these endpoints, to run your code across these endpoints. And then on the data, uh, data science side, uh, you now allow the uh, harmonize all of their training work uh, into a, a common format to go deploy into production. And it's probably good to point out that there's an Onyx model zoo, but because there's converters from TensorFlow and PyTorch and Scikit-Learn to Onyx, you can also grab models from the TensorFlow model zoo, the TensorFlow Lite model zoo, or the PyTorch model hub, I think they call it. So it doesn't really matter where you get the model you want to use from. Um, there should be a converter to convert that to Onyx. It's probably worth also pointing out services such as the custom vision. Um, they actually output directly to Onyx format as well, and those models are quite easy to consume. I love that it's called model zoos. You get all the different specimens and uh, <laughs> the use. But um, so, Mike, you brought up a good point with uh, like custom vision. A lot of times, that's all trained in the cloud, but then you, you can bring it down to on device. And obviously, Onyx is going to run on device. And what is the performance like? Well, um, I'll probably pass that one on to Scott, but I think from working with him, uh, one thing I've learned is that performance completely varies according to the model, the hardware it's run on, as well as the execution provider. And um, frankly, it's a, it's a process of experimenting with all of those options and deciding what works best for that particular Yeah, case. absolutely. Like different models have different operations they perform which costs different amounts depending on the device. Um, so if parts of the model can run on the neural processing unit on a mobile device, it's probably going to go well. However, if those parts aren't all joined together in the model, like there's a bit at the start and a bit at the end, then it's probably going to go badly because going between the CPU and the NPU takes time. Um, so as we have between the executor, execution provider infrastructure and our CPU implementations, we have various ways to run the model. Um, so sometimes it's just a case of try it out with the MPU, try it out with the CPU, see what's fastest. And I'd like to add that um, uh, these, even within a, within a set of devices like say Android, you have got hardware from many different um, you know, platform providers. And so with, with this common interface to something called NNAPI in Android, Onyx Runtime can make the determination whether uh, that model would work in a particular kind of hardware uh, because it's old and then you know, have the ability to fall back to CPU execution, which can give a lot of flexibility to at least uh, execute the model uh, even when you are running on older hardware. Well, that's super interesting. And actually, it kind of gives you that fail-safe fallback, which is exactly what you need. I mean, because you really cannot, I mean, that's the bane of every mobile developer's existence, is that you cannot predict what device the app will be running on. So let's talk a little bit about the apps. I mean, what are some, I guess, just what kind of models, what would I be using um, use cases um, for Manesh? I mean, what, what, what kind of apps can, can I build? With this, we can look at like three different verticals: vision, uh, text, and speech. You can implement or uh, you know implement AI in any of these. And what I mean by that is, you can get vision signals, be it from your camera or a video stream that you're playing, and there could be intelligence built into a model 
to detect uh, faces, uh, you know, or or you know, you're scanning a check to deposit into your bank. You can deploy, you can de- you know implement AI to detect the form or the structure of that uh, uh, you know check that you need to deposit and like the routing number and account number and all that. So th- that's where you know you can use vision-based models to kind of segment an image, detect specific parts, and then translate it into uh, from image to text uh, because if they are numbers, for example. Um, on the on the language side, uh, we already see scenarios where when you're typing um, something in a document or in an email, you get some predictions of what you may want to be typing next. And uh, or, you know, in the keyboard, when you're, you know, there is there is a lot of like correction to your spellings or even prediction on what the next word might be. Those are examples of where we are implementing uh, AI models uh, that that understand language or text. And then finally, the last category would be uh, around speech. Uh, And what I mean by this is uh, things around, you know, translating, being able to say something onto your phone and asking for translation back on uh, in a different language or or detecting like noise or or ambient um, ambient uh, disruptions so that your phone calls are really clear. And those are examples where AI is implemented uh, to kind of clean up the speech signal, as an example, to um, to deliver better experience. Yeah, certainly based on the enterprise customers that our team um, has been working with, uh, we've certainly seen you know a focus on trying to reduce like error prone or repetitive manual steps. So you know staff can, and and field workers, especially in our case, can focus on I guess more valuable things. So that could be just improving the quality of um, of the input. So that just reduces time spent fixing issues later downstream, maybe offering suggestions like Manash suggested, you know, so that it speeds up the, uh, the input process overall. Um, and in some cases, um, we've seen scenarios where it's been helpful to identify safety considerations for people in, you know, busy or dangerous work environments. And that's really interesting because a lot of times when, you know, you think of artificial intelligence, you think of, you know, the sci-fi um, factor, but it's like the everyday, as, as you mentioned, Mike, it's like cleaning up input or Manesh, when you said it's like predicting text, I mean, that's stuff people use every day and you probably don't think of it. That's, that's artificial intelligence doing that. Um, it's not a big if then else statement. It's, <laughs> they're smarts in quotation marks behind all that stuff. So that's really neat. And you can actually, with with the right model, start implementing that in your in your own applications, which is which is really neat. And so Scott, if I was going to then start um I let's say I picked my model from the model zoo, how do I go about now starting to get that to work in a Xamarin app? What are my general really high level steps to go about getting this to uh, be integrated? Sure. So the, the high-level steps, uh, there are a couple of NuGet packages. Um, there's, I think it's called Microsoft.ml.onyxruntime, and there is also, which, sorry, contains the native libraries. So that is the implementation of the pieces that will run the Onyx model in, we've got native libraries for Windows, for Mac, for iOS, for Android, etc. And then there's a manage package on top of that, which gives you the C-sharp bindings for, for calling into Onyx Runtime. 
So that those will give you the pieces to run the model. Um, and then you've got your model, assumably, in Onyx format. So what you need to do then is figure out how you're going to create the input to your model and then read the output. So creating the input can be a little tricky um, because it needs to match the format that the model was trained with. So for example, for a, say you've got an image processing model that detects um, animals and labels the animal, just as an example. So if you got the pre-trained model, that would have been trained most likely with images of a certain size um, and in a certain format. So for example, it might be 256 by 256 and it's red, green, blue. Um, so when you get your image from say the device camera, you need to um, alter it to, to match that format so that the results from the model are good. So this is called generally pre-processing. And then essentially you call Onyx Runtime with that and it will spit out some results that you, for example, you'll match to labels in that in that case. So what you do around the call to Onyx Runtime is determined by the model um, and what, how the model was trained and then what sort of results the model outputs. So different models will have different outputs, but remember it's gonna be numbers or maybe text at the most. So for example, you might need to convert an index number to a label for this is a dog or this is a cat. Um, but all, all of that's model specific and that's probably one of the tricky things to do when you're trying to use this Onyx model. Um, yeah, those are probably the high level steps. Mike can probably speak a bit more about the experience as he, <laughs> he's actually gone through these steps and, and can probably tell you some of the pain points. Yeah, certainly. I think a, a great app that Scott introduced me to was Netron. Um, I think that was really helpful because that, what that does, it allows you to load up your model and it visualizes everything that goes on, including giving you the the names for the inputs and the outputs and the the format that the input and the output is is in. So you can more easily understand what you need to do with that. You know, for example, once you've got the results, um, I think if I'm if I'm honest, some models do a great job with the documentation, and other models it's more difficult. Um, especially for those who don't necessarily have a traditional uh, data science background. So uh, sometimes it's a, it, it's an iterative process, shall we say. But ultimately, like Scott says, it's, it's a matter of making sure you, uh, you know, your input is what the model expects and you understand what the model gives you as output so that you can make sense of it. I loved how Scott in his answer kind of danced around the question of that you have to read the documentation for the model. Things in a model zoo or a model hub will have more documentation. But if you have, say, some random thing that you want to do and you go off and you find a model, it may be that that model lacks clear documentation about what input and output it expects. And it might just assume, well, you you know PyTorch, so you know where to look to kind of infer those things. So it can be a bit of an adventure to figure out. And also, uh, and we recognize this problem. Uh, and as, as an org, right, like both Scott and Mike have, have prepared uh, amazing uh, samples uh, that are out there. They may not address every uh, you know scenario, but that they could serve as good getting started uh, for say something for vision, uh, and we will continue to expand the the samples to enable users to kind of uh, you know address 
scenarios around you know vision, text, and speech. Yeah, and, and we're also in the process of creating some infrastructure where we can add some of that pre-processing to the model. So what tends to happen is it's not part of the model because when you're doing the training, you want to do it as quickly as possible. So you don't want to be, say, resizing and reformatting an image every time you do a training run. You want to do that ahead of time so that you save processing time when you're training. So that leads to these models that do a great job in terms of accuracy, but the pre-processing happens outside of the model. So we're working on some infrastructure to allow you to add some of that pre-processing into the model, which would mean that in a mobile scenario, it's more about just capture the image and give it to us and we'll be able to do any resizing or reformatting that's required because we gave you a way to do that in the model. Now that would be amazing that I don't have to actually uh, resize my image down and it just works. It just works. That would be really amazing. Not that it just doesn't work now, but it's just... Yeah, let's, let's stuff for a developer to have to learn to adopt Onyx Runtime. Yeah, that'd be something else. And as you mentioned about the samples, I know, Mike, you wrote a blog post a couple of weeks back about um, using Onyx. Um, so that was great. You just want to give us a quick a little rundown of what was all in there? Yeah, so I think what I was trying to do with that really is just provide an introduction to, to Onyx runtime in general and by providing a really stripped down simple example and it, it uses a classification model called MobileNet and so it just takes the uh, an image, uh, goes through a similar set of steps that uh, Scott described to pre-process that image but ultimately that it just shows you you know the high level steps of load the model up, create your inference session, run the model based on that, you know, the pre-processing according to the instructions, then taking that output, mapping it to the right label and just showing a, an alert. Um, so the real goal with that was really just to, you know, given, you know, bring those concepts to life and provide some links to to folks who want to take that a little bit further and, and use their own models. It's, it's a great read. And we'll put the link to that blog post in the show notes for this. And um, I highly encourage everybody to go check it out to um, just get started with this. And so, Mike, I'm going to throw this one right to you because I know this is part of it that you were involved with. And um, how come Xamarin wasn't, what were the, like any technical reasons like Xamarin wasn't supported on the Onyx runtime previous before now? Um, I guess what were, what were the issues and, what solved them for us? Well, I mean, I think Scott alluded to this earlier. Uh, under the hood, it's actually just using the native iOS and Android frameworks. So I suppose the pieces of the puzzle were always there, but they weren't included in the, in the NuGet package themselves. So I think there's a few things that had to change slightly, which is to use multi-targeting so that there's some specific Android and iOS steps that make sure the right library gets included in the right you know in the that build time in the right place and then there's a few platform specific differences to the way that we're um, using pinvoke to call the underlying libraries and that's just for example whether it's a static library or a dynamic library or in certain cases uh, to deal with some aot specific challenges so i think changing you know dynamic function pointers just to use the right attributes so that it, when, it, when it's built, it, um, it can get handled correctly for AOT. And then um, I think everything else is pretty much there, really. I mean, the, the, the team have a really interesting and 
elaborate DevOps process. And maybe Scott can talk to you about that in more detail. Well, we built for a lot of platforms. <laughs> so, and, and it was only about a year ago, I think, that we added, or a year and a, a bit, that we added the iOS and the Android builds. Um, so Onyx Runtime is built for just about every platform you can imagine. And then with different combinations like TensorRT, it's used in places. We've got OpenVINO. There's a whole bunch of different accelerators. And so the, the DevOps to build this is like it's cross-platform to, <laughs> to a massive degree. Well, that's cool. I mean, so Mike, I kind of like how you, you played it. There was a lot of work involved. I mean, you were talking about dynamic pointers and everything else on board, on device for platform specific, and you made it sound easy. I'm sure it was not easy at all, but now we can use it in a, in a platform independent way, which is amazing. Well, what was quite interesting to me was actually, um, so I started working with Scott because we decided to do a quick POC to you know, just to see how easy or difficult it would be to use it because we had a reason to use it in that case. And it turns out it was really quick to make it work with Xamarin. Unfortunately, it didn't necessarily consider the fact that it already had a lot of supported platforms. So I think it was interesting because it informed the work we had to do to make it work over on the Xamarin side. But I think the real work is in sort of taking an existing product and, and trying to add Xamarin without necessarily, uh, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, coming, coming up with a project file that supports all those different platforms and the different bits and pieces you need to do when it loads is uh, challenging. So, Wanesh, then, um, so let's say somebody wants to start doing this. What, what kind of challenges can they expect when they, um, th say, they're brand new to ML? Um, what should they be prepared to learn about? as they get going? I mean, I guess, how, how can we ease the on-ramp? I think at, the, at a high level, the biggest uh, uh, dissatisfaction or surprise would be for, for someone new is that the, that they did everything right. They integrated the model and, you know, the application now runs. But when they're trying to look for cats, it cannot detect cats, right? So the reason that happens is usually because the, the data that was used to create the model does not represent or match with the end uh, business solution that they are trying to solve for. And that is going to require a lot of data science, which is outside the boundaries of what we have been talking about here. So, so you know, once you get your application and the model and, and all the execution and all of that working right, do you have the right trained model that meets your business need. And that becomes that, you know, Uber question and, and the, the, the investigation that would have to come together uh, even after like you've put together your solution. And that goes back to when I said, you know, if I'm building a model to look for cats and, and I, I did everything right and I, I put a cat's picture in front, of, in front of my phone, but you can't still detect a cat. Well, guess what, you know, your model may not be right. That's the first thing. The other would be that, uh, you know, there are different execution environments and build infrastructure required. So those are all the execution and integration work, that the hard work you need on the DevOps side, not on the data science side, which you'd have to, like, worry about and and think about uh, as you go into this. And, and Scott, I wanted to ask you one thing. I mean, I was, I was just kind of checking out some of the um, overall documentation. So 
What's a tensor, Scott? Yeah, <laughs> we talk about TensorFlow, TensorFlow Lite. I mean, what, what's a tensor? Yeah, you'll see this term all over the place. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, a tensor is just really a blob of data. Um, it's a multi-dimensional array that represents some data. So to build out the different dimensions, say you've got a picture, it's got a height and a width. Those are two dimensions. Um, if it's red, green, blue, there's a height and a width worth, worth of pixels that are red. Same for green, same for blue. So now you've got a three-dimensional thing. You've got three channels, which is the red, green, and blue, and the height and the width. And then often in a, in a model, you'll see a batch dimension. Um, this is, again, more of a side effect from training where you might, instead of feeding it one image at a time, you might feed it 20. So the batch size, so you might have a blob of data that has the 20 images. Each image has three different channels for the colors and a height and a width. So whether that's speech or text or what have you, the tensor is just essentially the bits that represent that thing and it's structured with these different dimensions for different attributes of it. So when, when you see you have to convert your input to a tensor, it's really just put the data in the right order so that it can read the right bits from the right places. Back to the documentation, Scott. Always to the documentation. <laughs> but um, no, that's I'm glad you brought that up because it's always knowing about what things are called. Because if you don't know what they're called, you're going to be lost even more. And um, a tensor is like one of those things that you would never guess what it is. Like matrix, you kind of have an idea. It's multi, you know, a two-dimensional array. But a tensor, I'm not sure what that would be. So, yeah, that's great to um, to know about. So. With that said, Mike, Scott, Manesh, I want to thank you all very much for joining me today. Um, I learned a lot. I cannot wait to start using Onyx. I'm going to think of a use case for it. I'm going to implement it. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to talk about it. I just have to figure out what it's going to be, be yet. I'm going to go to a zoo and grab myself a model. And this has been great. So, again, thank you all very much. This has been the .NET Maui podcast, and we'll talk to everybody next time. Thank you.